And now it's time for your Soder Cola weather break. It'll be sunny and 52 in Metropolis with winds northwest at 11 miles per hour and visibility of 10 miles. Tonight will be clear with a low of 43 degrees. Now it's time for the first episode of Superman Forever Radio. And welcome to Superman Forever Radio, your weekly fix for the Man of Steel. I'm your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. With our first episode, I wanted to give you a little feel for the show and why it's here, starting with me. I've been a comic fan for nearly three decades and a Superman fan for as long as I can remember. My first memories of the, are of the Super Friends on Saturday mornings, uh, weekday mornings in some places, and how Superman was their leader, sort of the go-to guy. And then, of course, Christopher Reeve's Superman had a huge impression on me as a young child. And to me, Superman is the greatest superhero on top of being the first. And I've been running SupermanForever.com for nearly a year now and really wanted to contribute something more to fandom. And so that's, you know, kind of where this podcast came from. And, uh, you know, with the many comic book podcasts and even with those few Superman podcasts out there, I saw something kind of missing. A lot of the Superman podcasts, they're either really news and review oriented or they're monthly, like Radio KAL over at KAL over at the Superman homepage, or some of them are really topic related, like the Superman fan podcast. And, uh, you know, he may spend a whole episode on Noel Neal's career and it's it's a good podcast and recommended, but I wanted something where you could get a little bit of everything, you know, and some of the other podcasts, uh, Superman podcasts focus on one aspect, um, Starkville's House of Elk uh, focuses on Smallville. Uh, from Crisis to Crisis focuses on issues, you know, from 1986 to 19, uh, pardon me, 2006. You know, the post-Infinite Crisis, uh, pre-Infinite Crisis, post-Crisis on Infinite Earths era of uh, the burn era of Superman. And I wanted to do a weekly podcast that covered, you know, the latest news, did those reviews of the current books and even past books, and also had room to kind of look deeper into a variety of topics, a little bit of everything, kind of a grab bag. And, I mean, Superman has been in, you know, all forms of media for 72 years, and that's a lot of ground to cover. So I plan to look at a huge variety of topics, from full storylines to a single concept to various books written about Superman, and even the actors and creators who brought us Superman. And all while giving uh, fans, you know, the current happenings in the Superman world, And I also want an interactive fan experience, which is, you know, why we have the message line at 703-95-SUPER. Or, you know, so listeners can call in, leave messages, contribute to the show, be a part of the show. Or email at mail at supermanforever.com. And, uh, you know, certainly create a a community, uh, you know, kind of give the fans a chance to, to shout out. So that's the basic overview of the show. Normally we'll come in, uh, chat a little, do a little news, go into our topic, you know, do reviews towards the end of the show, and uh, make sure you're aware of whatever Superman books or items are hitting the stores, you know, around that week. And normally I record the episode on Friday mornings and then post them on Sundays, giving me time to edit if need be, if I'm not doing stuff live like this episode. 
I'm going to have to go back in and edit because nothing was ready. As it should have been. My fault. So, you know, with that said, let's go ahead and start the never-ending battle. This week I'm reviewing Superman's first adventure, plus uh, some of his latest adventure. And we kind of talk about some of the uh, happenings with the new Superman movie. Um, what's rumor and what's fact. And uh, kind of talk a little bit about mainstream media. Plus answer the question, why does the world need Superman? So, what's going on with the new Superman movie? Uh, we have a producer in Christopher Nolan of the Dark Knight fame. We have a director with 300 and Watchmen Helmer, Zack Snyder. And a screenwriter in David Goyer of Blade fame. And there are a lot of rumors going around. From John Hamm being cast to the script focusing on Clark in his 20s. To Zod being the villain. And as of now, these are rumors. Uh, they seem to be become confirmed by a lot of bloggers. Uh, rumors are interesting. Sometimes they end up being true. Most of the time, it's just a fan's wishful thinking. Perry White would be ashamed of what passes for some of the journalism that's around today. Because a uh, random rumor gains legs, becomes news, and suddenly even mainstream outlets are picking it up and passing it off as the gospel truth. We've got to keep this in, in perspective. And I'm as excited as anybody to see this movie. I'm looking forward to a lot of casting, uh, seeing where it goes, and those first photos, kind of like when Superman Returns was being made. That was, uh, you know, a good time when the first Brandon Mouth pick came up, and I was kind of mortified, but, eh, you know, this this time will be different, right? It's got to be. But uh, at the same time, we got to keep perspective. There are a lot of fans that look at, uh, you know, who Christopher Nolan's working with and decide that's, you know, Tom Hardy, who actually was cast in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, they're they're picking up these small tropes that really don't have anything to do with it and turning it into, you know, huge news things when it's nothing but a, a, a theory. Um, that's, you know, kind of getting into the mainstream media, too. And, you know, as far as mainstream media, take the release of Superman Earth-1 earlier this week. Uh, the New York Post conjectures that the new Superman resembles Robert Pattinson may have drawn some inspiration from him more than Christopher Reeve. It was a simple illustration, not even a quote from either Shane Davis or, or J. Michael Straczynski or even Dan Didio, DC Comics. Um, but within 24 hours... There were headlines reading, Hipster Superman. Superman looks like Robert Pattinson. No, he doesn't. He looks like Superman with a slightly shaggier look, uh, slightly more modern clothes that don't necessarily scream hipster to me, but maybe, you know, I'm not up on my hipster costume. So, <laughs> But it looked like, you know, how perhaps Clark Kent being bewildered and angsty. Oh, dear. Superman angsty? He lost his planet. He gets a right to be angsty for a little bit. He's the only one of his kind, and he has no idea how to fit in this world. I think Smallville's been doing angsty for ten years now. But that's just me. Don't mean to get off on a rant. But, you know, suddenly the book, uh, Earth One, becomes tw Superman for the, quote, Twilight Generation. And suddenly all this hate comes from the fanboy community simply because of one quote that, you know, somebody took out of context, and MTV starts posting it because it sounds cool. And I'm sure, you know, it seemed like a good idea to appeal to the mainstream bring in the new fans of various ages and backgrounds because supposedly the book is aimed at younger readers despite a $20 price tag. I'm going to get off on a tangent here for just a moment because this is important. My friend took his son into a comic shop trying to get him into the hobby. And, you know, look, the son looks at the prices and says, I can't afford this. I might be able to squeeze out one book at this $2.99, $3.99 point. 
Now, DC has been gracious enough to kind of stave off that 399 point for at least, you know, 2011 because they realize that's kind of a breaking point for us. We can't afford four bucks a pop, you know, uh, not, not in today's economy. But if they're going to aim a, you know, graphic novel at these younger readers, why not give it a decent price point? 20 bucks, I know it's hardcover, but 20 bucks is steep. You're not going to get the younger readers. You're going to get their parents, maybe, who will do anything to get their kids Bieber tickets, like shave their head. Kid you not. But they're not necessarily going to get the, the younger readers. It doesn't necessarily capture it with that price. The story may be good. The book looks good. Definitely an interesting cover. But 20 bucks. That's like getting stabbed in the knee. And, of course, yours truly here is going to go right out and buy it. In fact, I think it's sitting. Oh, I stand corrected. I already bought it. It's sitting right over there. In fact, next week I am going to talk a little bit about Earth One. So, But anyway, that's my rant. Lower prices. 20 bucks is too much. But it hits these shelves, you know, the book gets despised, mainstream media comes in and brings in, you know, these new fans. I'm just saying, it's kind of like killing Superman off in 1992, which brought in mainstream buyers looking for an investment, thinking they're, they're going to send their kid to college on Superman 75, polybagged with that bloody red logo. And this led to the spectator part market, uh, chromium covers, clone sagas, and then eventually kind of the collapse of the comic industry for a while there, and it almost didn't survive. That's just conjecture. But I'm just saying, you know, slippery slope. Fanboys are pretty content to be left in their own community without the outsiders coming in and asking a lot of questions. It's one thing if we make a new fan. It's another thing if somebody comes in, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a voyeur coming into our world. At least that's that's me. Maybe I'm paranoid. Anyway, as I said, next week... I am doing a, a feature on Earth One because of the, the depth of it and the length of it and how much it has to go through. If you ever have thoughts on that, if you've been reading it and you have anything you want to contribute, certainly you know you can give us a call at the message line, 703-95-SUPER, or drop us an email at uh, mail at supermanforever.com. So with this being the first episode and all, I thought it would be appropriate to review Superman's first adventure. And this story first appeared in an abbreviated version in Action Comics number one, where it was literally cut and pasted from an in, a story intended for comic strips. Now, a longer version was printed about a year later in Superman number one, which ironically was the first title devoted to a character, giving Superman that distinction. And that was one where it's the one we're actually going to look at. And it was a little bit recut, but still kind of awkward. So let's jump right into it. I don't know if I need a spoiler warning here, but I'm going to give you one. I'm going to be going through the story. I know it was written in 1938, and a lot of people have had a chance to read it, but uh, I'll, I, I don't want to get one angry email. So <laughs> um, The story begins with a brief overview of Superman's origin, the normal rocket heading to, from Krypton landing on Earth found by the Kents, but the tale does not indicate their first names, nor that the rocket landed in Kansas. In fact, the Kansas aspect of Smallville did not come into the mythos until Superman the movie. But uh, oddly enough, the Kents aren't even identified as farmers, just an elderly couple. So they were sort of nondescript. Um, young Clark is given to the orphanage where his strength and powers develop. So when the Kents have a change of heart, the orphanage is all too glad to allow them a quick adoption. Now if this scenario happened today, the Kents would be out of luck. Adoption costs start as low as $24,000 and up. There are massive background checks, 
there are a lot of waiting lists, which is kind of sad for kids that need, you know, a good family and families that want to give a good life to a, a wonderful kid. But today, a simple farmer and his wife, or whatever the kids were supposed to be in this version, they would have to wait years and spend their life savings just to take Clark home. But the orphanage is like, yep, see ya. So we, uh, we see Clark learning his powers and dedicating his life to doing good at his parents' graves uh, at the end. Now, the kids being dead in the older uh, versions of Superman, the Golden Age and Silver Age, I always thought that was an interesting aspect to the mythos because it added a lot of, uh, you know, angst, uh, not angst, I don't want to use that word, but a lot of pathos, a lot of emotion there. Um, him swearing allegiance at, at his parents' grave, something done before Batman, just going to put that stamp on there, but it added a tinge of sadness because he lost his original parents, he lost his adopted parents, so he's really looking uh, to be adopted by the world in a way. And by doing Superman, his deeds... You know, he's really trying to find that acceptance that maybe, you know, uh, Pa Kent, you know, weren't, wasn't able to give him or Jor-El wasn't able to give him. But that's something that the, uh, you know, John Byrne version and the recent versions kind of lack because uh, up until recently, you know, both parents were there and then Jonathan died. And really, the books didn't take time to look into how that affected Clark. Straczynski hit on it just a little bit in Superman number 700, but really it was just like, oh, my dad's dead. I'm kind of sad. Oh. New Krypton storyline for a year, where I'm not going to be able to deal with anything but this large soap opera that was overdrawn. I, I'm just saying, I know that's not reviewing that. <laughs> anyway, so be, let's speed ahead. Uh, bespectable, bespectacled Clark Kent enters the office of the Daily Star, not the Daily Planet, trying to get a job from the nameless editor, who would later be named briefly George Taylor, and then the radio show would coin him Perry White, as we know him today. And editor says, I can't use you. Because it's that easy. Uh, Clark walks in. I have no experience, but I think I'd be good at it. And sure, get a job. <laughs> hey, you know, it could have worked in 1938. Things were different there. But uh, Clark, uh, afterwards, after being refused, ducks into an alley, changes into a Superman suit, which has no origin. And eavesdrops on the editor. He's going to do a lot of eavesdropping in this episode. Which, uh, for those critique critics of uh, Superman Returns, the stalker Superman... It started here. Sorry. If you want to bash Superman Returns, there's tons of stuff to bash, but the eavesdropping scene... Okay, the X-ray vision may have been much, but uh, it's kind of what Superman did back in the day. But uh, anyway, while eavesdropping, he hears the editor on the phone saying there's a mob at the county jail. While seeing his opportunity, Superman leaps, leaps as he didn't fly yet, to the jail, fights off the mob who are trying to lynch a prisoner. Now, with the mob staved off, because Superman, Superman's what he does. It's how he rolls. He, you know, he's able to get the prisoner back into jail. And when the sheriff asks who he is, Clark says, I'm a reporter. Way to blow that secret identity right out of the gate, Clark. I mean, story's going to appear on the Daily Star the next day. Clark Kent's going to have the byline, perhaps. I mean, there it goes, right then and there. It's a sheriff. It's the law. Like, they, did, I guess they were able to do background checks. They didn't have computers, but... Who knows? But the prisoner lays some knowledge on Superman, saying he's being held for the murder of Jack Kennedy. Not that Jack Kennedy. But he is innocent, and so is Evelyn Curry, who is going to be put to death tonight. The real culprit is lounge singer B. Carroll. So Clark hits the high-low club, because he's a happening guy, uh, sneaks into B. Carroll's dressing room as Superman, and there the singer attempts to seduce Superman. But doesn't work. 
And then she, you know, at that, uh, pulls the CSI and just admits everything. And as Superman leaps out the window, a news bulletin conveniently lets him know, and us, that Evelyn Curry is going to be executed in half an hour. Oh, the time crunch is on. Well, this is where the Action Comics version of the story actually comes in. This is where, you know, what people would have actually been introduced to in 1938. But uh, Superman's leaping through the night, uh, leaving B. Carroll on the lawn of the governor's mansion. And we then meet Superman's first villain, the governor's assistant or butler. Or, it's not really identified, but I'm going to call him the assistant. Now, after telling Superman to come back the next morning, Superman busts down the door of the governor's mansion, lifts the assistant up, knocking off his rock and sleeping cap, and charges up the stairs with the assistant in hand. Now, at the iron door to the governor's room, the iron door to the governor's room, how much did that set the state back? And this is Depression era. But the governor has an iron door. Superman could, people could apparently walk right up to the governor's mansion and people don't get alarmed, but there's an iron door to his bedroom. So the assistant dares Superman to tear the door down, which he does, because that's what Superman does, and quips that it was the assistant's idea. Now Superman wakes up the governor, pleading with him to spare Evelyn Curry. And when that rascally assistant shows up with a gun and becomes the first idiot to shoot at Superman and stare dumbfoundedly when it doesn't work. This will be a trope that we see thousands and thousands of times. I give this guy a little bit of credit because nobody knew who Superman was. Now, when you see on the old George Reeves show, people who identify Superman know who Superman is when he leaps through the window and they still shoot at them. Why? You're an idiot. Just give up. But that's just me. Maybe I'm overthinking that again. Anyway, Superman manages to appeal to the governor who phones the penitentiary and Evelyn Curry is spared. The day is saved and Clark is relieved when uh, the report in the paper the next day leaves him out for leaves him out of it. And he now works for the paper. That's kind of an interesting thing. This is the next day. Earmark that. The governor is also relieved, telling his board of people that he's glad that Superman's on the side of law and order. But uh, apparently they haven't sent him a bill for the crashing the front door or the iron door that had to have cost the state a ton of money. Anyway, Superman's, uh, you know, Clark has shown up at the Daily Star for his first day of work where the editor puts him on the trail of Superman. Apparently they didn't publish anything about him, but they're going to pursue this. And on his way out of the office, the dispatcher tells Clark that there's a wife beating in progress right now, which is odd that somebody phoned in that tip to the newspaper and not the police. But Superman's able to show up in mid-beating and just trounces the husband who actually faints after the knife breaks on Superman's chest. He faints. Now Superman rolls back to the newspaper and asks Lois out on a date. Which Lois responds, I'll give you a break for a change. This is our first introduction to Lois Lane. This is uh, Clark's first day of work at the Daily Star. How is this a change? Does Clark just show up at the Daily Star and ask her out, you know? I mean, maybe this is what Brian Singer was reading. Just saying. But she she does go on the date, and the real you know catch that's Golden Age Lois is really just waiting for the uh, the date to end, and just uh, talking about uh, how she writes sob stories all day, and Clark's a weenie, and then a large bully named Butch cuts cuts into their dance, and Clark backs off from the fight because he's Superman. He would totally destroy Butch, and Lois slaps Butch, ticking you know Butch off, and. Storms off. Lois is gone and tells Clark she can't stand him because he's a coward. And her cab pulls away. And Butch, not one to be embarrassed, follows Lois, runs the cab off the road, and kidnaps her. 
But Superman pursues, shakes everyone out of the car, and smashes it against the rock. That Im- you know iconic image from Extra Comics number one is in the panel. And this leaves Butch hanging from a telephone pole. Now, I like the old attitude. I like, you know, I like the stoic uh, do-gooder Superman of today, but the old Superman, a little bit more roughneck, a little bit more, what's the word, I'm ac- aggressive. And uh, kind of a sense of humor to him, a little bit better. You know, quipping at the governor's uh, assistant that it was his idea. That's funny. And a lot of people forget that, you know, that su- that was a part of Superman. And uh, Straczynski's kind of bringing some of those elements back into his run. But I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So, you know, with Butch hanging from the telephone, call, Lois, telephone pole, Lois Lane now meets Superman, who tells her he need she needn't be afraid of him. Uh, he takes her in his arm and drops her off at home. And ironically, the next day, the editor of the Daily Star doesn't believe Lois. When she tells him, you know, the story. But uh, gives Clark an assignment to go to San Monte where there's a war coming in because uh, the Daily Star is apparently putting headlines about card games. I mean, Metropolis is supposed to be an exciting city and card games are hitting the front page. That's the, that's the town I want to hang out in. But with the war in San Monte, uh, you know, uh, the editor sees a chance to get a really good story, sends Clark, you know, with tickets in hand to head that way instead clark goes to washington dc with no explanation just washington dc where uh, clark eavesdrops again on a crooked senator and of course superman shows up at the the person corrupting the senator because that's what he does and tries to you know confront him and strong arm into spilling the beans on the scandal and when the corruptor doesn't cooperate superman takes him on a high-rise tour of the capitol leaping across electric wires Till one leap apparently misses, and we are left with a cliffhanger. Superman in midair, whatever will happen. Spoiler, Superman's going to be okay. Now, this story really suffers from the cutting and pasting from the strip form. Uh, the time frame isn't really set, so you actually have Clark walking into the office, asking Lois out on a date, for a, and for a change, she, you know, gives him a chance. But uh, there was actually more to it. This, you know, this several stories cut into one for that issue, and this was Siegel and Schuster's first big, you know, chance to have their stuff uh, published. So, yeah, they took the chance and they did it as quickly as possible. And certainly, you know, the, the turnout wasn't as good as it possibly could have been. And if you ever read this in strip form, there really is a trip to San Monte taken. And that's actually part of it. Uh, now, in its time, though, this was, you know, a bold story. Um in perspective now it's just a mediocre jerry siegel tale with some great joe schuster art but the eavesdropping is kind of odd but can be explained because there's no super hearing there is no x-ray vision and we're still in a pulp era of comic books now superman would change that but this is you know you can't tell the future from where you know siegel and schuster were at so they you know kind of still drew on the pulps before superman really grew his legs you know and definitely evolved in the silver age now overall the story gets three stars out of five for originality because nobody knew how to tell a super uh, superman story yet and the art also gets three out of stars as siegel's layouts really kind of got hit hard by the cutting and pasting however since this is superman's first adventure i'll give an uh i'll give the story overall a four stars i'll give them an extra bonus because it holds that special place in fandom and now time for Superman's latest adventure, which isn't actually accurate because I'm reviewing Superman number 703. However, Superman 704 is actually on stands right now. And on my stack, I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, 
I do want to give spoilers on this because I know it's a couple of weeks old because of the delay in the issue. But I will give spoilers. I'm going to be talking about the story again. And since this is fairly current, be leery. Beware. Don't be leery. Don't be scared. Um, this issue, it's part three of the story Grounded by J. Michael Straczynski and Eddie Barrows, which have find Superman walking across the U- U.S. reconnecting with his you know fellow Americans. And, you know, this issue, uh, he ends up in Cincinnati briefly, threatening a stalker, when Batman shows up and accuses Superman of having a mental breakdown. Now, I was thrilled that they did acknowledge that it is Dick in the costume. I like Dick Grayson as Batman, and Superman number 700, you know, acknowledged Batman, but it never actually said it was Dick. So I like that the continuity is actually being affected. Now, that's where where the good stuff really kind of stops. Uh, Batman asked Superman if he thought about his, you know, effects of walking through Main Street USA, turning it into a target, which Superman shrugs off. Really doesn't take a lot of thought and kind of chastises Dick for he and Bruce's way of life. Not necessarily how Superman would normally handle that, but okay. Close enough. Now, conveniently, we learn uh, that pieces of new Krypton are falling to Earth, and one lands in nearby Danville, which Superman shows up for. However, he's too late because a group of kids found the piece, which kind of looks like a uh, crystalline Grammy, some sort of award, and they take it to their teacher, Miss Jennings. Now, something happens, and Jennings suddenly gets superpowers after after coming in contact with it, which she demonstrates later that night at a bar on a drunk. Now, the drunk shows up the next day, conveniently, while Superman's giving a TV interview, and he also has superpowers. What? So a massive fight, of course, erupts, because that seems to be what happens with each issue. Uh, previous issue, it was an, a group of aliens that Superman found. Uh, same old, same old. Uh, but, yeah, a fight erupts, tears up the town, and suddenly the drunk's powers were off, and he can't remember exactly what happened. Now, this opens up a huge hate bomb on Superman, bringing trouble to small-town USA, just like Batman said, conveniently. And the entire issue, I mean, really just left me with a feeling of what's going on. Not in the good, I want to see what happens next issue way, but in the frustrated, I missed an episode of Lost kind of way. Now this storyline has been fairly cookie cutter all the way through. The first issue, 701, you find Superman reenacting All-Star Superman in a much longer and not quite as endearing, you know, version of the uh, Suicide Jumper. And then issue two, Superman conveniently finds a group of aliens who are minding their own business, living in town with great technology, and then conveniently meets an old man outside of the Detroit, uh, shut down Detroit car plant, who happens to be sick, and the aliens heal the man and bring jobs back by building their technology. After ironically being hypocritically chastised by Superman about being aliens on Earth and facing possible deportation because they're not contributing. All they did, you know, their only crime was a guy who was standing in his yard who happened to be an alien. It wouldn't bother me. But uh, this whole storyline has been very convenient, very contrived. And really, uh, Straczynski kind of tries to, to, tries to do some of that old school attitude Superman with some of the quips at the reporter in the first issue, asking her if she's sure she's a reporter. But it really just comes off snide and... Not fun like the Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster version, but just obnoxious, kind of like Jason Todd Bat- Robin. But, uh, you know, all in all, this issue, you know, everything happens in a nice, neat bundle, just like a sitcom. 
Batman warns about something, which immediately happens, setting off a new chain of events that will shape the story for upcoming issues. Now, JMS is better than this. Rising Stars was better than this. So the story actually gets two stars out of five for being contrived. Now, Eddie Barrow's art is just kind of odd. It isn't sleek, but it's not overdone. It's really just passable, and it looks in places really like he's trying to ape Gary Frank with too much Ethan Van Skyver mixed in. Like, Batman's scallops on his cape look very awkward, where Van Skyver can pull that off and make it look interesting. This just looked awkward. And uh, his layouts are good, though, and they definitely get the job done with the, whatever little story he has, because half the issue was a fight. So the interior actually gets a 3 out of 5. Now, John Cassidy's top-notch cover evens out the art side. Cassidy's always good to look at and always tells a story in itself on the cover. So the cover actually gets 4 out of 5. Now, it's not Cassidy's best work, but even when Cassidy phones it in, the job gets done well. So overall, on average, the issue actually gets 3.5 stars out of 5, mostly saved by John Cassidy's cover. And next week, we actually go into Superman's first meeting with Lex Luthor in a retro review. And we review Superboy number 1 by Jeff Lemire. This week, I really wanted to answer an important question. With the first episode, I needed to set the tone. Why does the world need Superman? The world needs Superman because the world needs hope. When Superman debuted in 1938, the Great Depression was happening. There's, you know, the Dust Bowl was happening. People were turning to escapism. And Superman probably hit so hard because he hit at that time. Here was this guy in this colorful costume with all these great powers. And what's he doing? He's watching out for the little guy. Now, his methods have changed over the years, but the idea of hope hasn't. Now, I would say the world needs superheroes in general for that hope. But since Superman is the first superhero, all other superheroes owe their existence to him. He is literally the reason the word superhero exists. So, you know, on top of that, in terms of just pure entertainment, Superman kind of represents the American mythology. Now, Greeks had myths. Romans had myths based on the Greeks. Uh, Celtics had myths. Uh, America as a, as a nation, we had some tall tales like Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, things like that, but we didn't have a true honest-to-goodness myth something that kind of sets the tone for the for the country's consciousness in general something that says america and i think i recently read a line in uh the 10 cent plague by david hodgdu where he mentions and i'm paraphrasing at best here so forgive me that a lot of comic strips up to that point like hogan's alley uh, they were created for the lower class who didn't read they represented a lower class in a satirical way, really insulting way. So these two immigrants, Siegel and Schuster, come along and create a character who turned the tide of that, of the entire medium, from this sarcastic uh, middle finger to the lower class and turned comic books into something that celebrated immigrants. And I think his line was, you know, comic strips up to that point had been very insulting, but Superman, you know, basically celebrated the American way. And that may have been a turning point for our country because, you know, FDR started his fireside chats. We hadn't entered World War II, which would kind of complete this transformation and create this vision of Americana as we see it today. And uh, really, this myth came along and developed all the way through, like the country, kind of evolved with it and grew up with it. 
and created this rith, rith, uh, rith, <laughs> rich mythology. The dense Kryptonian tapestry, the background on that, the crystal, the lava falls. and uh, Then you have the daily planet in Metropolis, this fictional city that kind of could be anywhere. Resembles a little bit of New York, a little bit of this. Kind of a nice uh, collage of America. And then uh, you have Clark Kent, this dual identity, this everyman who underneath that becomes this uh, super-powered being on Earth. And it really represents a lot of the good in us all and the potential, you know, to hit that good, to be above and beyond, you know, the everyman. Uh, and, the you know, just the fact that it was created by two poor immigrants who were outcasts, really had no nothing to their name, took a risk in submitting this, Followed their dream. That's another representation of the American dream. So when Superman says truth, justice, the American way, it really comes back to Siegel and Schuster saying, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make, we're going to pursue our happiness, as the Constitution would say. And we're going to make this happen. And they did. And Superman's going 72 years strong and no sign of stopping. And a lot of people talk about Superman being outdated. He's this overgrown Boy Scout that represents values that don't necessarily exist in today's America. And I take offense to that because what draws me to the character is there's no moral ambiguity. When Superman comes on the scene, you know, even Bruce Wayne sighs a little relief, you know, sighs a little with relief because Superman's going to do the right thing. He's walks on the scene. He has things under control. Everybody knows it. So, let me ask you this. Why is honesty, integrity, sticking your neck out for your neighbor, why is that outdated? How is that outdated? Why are people drawn to characters that, like Wolverine who gut their enemies? Or, you know, even the comedian from The Watchmen who uh, shoot pregnant women in Vietnam. Why is that suddenly the role model? When did killing suddenly become a good thing? I don't know. What's wrong with truth, justice, and the American way? truth why not be honest if we were all honest would the world be a better place i don't know <laughs> a little scary but true to yourself at least to quote hamlet to thine own self be true and justice making the wrong things right well how can that be a bad thing and what is the american way inclusion do you think uh, superman when saving somebody asks them if they're a republican if they vote republican do you think superman uh, would choose you know a, hetero, a heterosexual person over a homosexual person? No. Superman doesn't have that worldview. Superman has probably a greater worldview, having, you know, knowing his Kryptonian heritage, seeing the planet as a whole, seeing that everybody has this potential and enriching that potential. But I'm not going to get deep and philosophical. Let's be honest. Part of Superman is just cool. That dense mythology I mentioned, you know, it may be part of the American tapestry now, but it's also fun to read. It's fun to, to look at a guy who can smash a tank. But it's also good that you have that moral hard line where he's going to do that right thing. It's comforting. And I'm you know happy to be a Superman fan. I'm happy to collect his stuff. Because if I ever have kids, I don't have to worry about them wondering, you know, what is daddy's draw to this? But then again, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it's just a comic book. Maybe it's just a guy in a colorful costume. I don't know. What's your opinion? 
drop me a line uh, via email at uh, mail at supermanforever.com or of course you can phone in at 703-95-SUPER. Well, that does it for this episode, this first episode. Uh, next week, we review Superboy number one, uh, look at Superman Earth one in its entirety, and take a brief look at Superman's battle with the KKK and his first battle with Lex Luthor. Be sure and visit supermanforever.com and post on the message boards there. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Superman, the number four ever. And I'm on Facebook. Just do a search for Superman Forever. See you next week when the never-ending battle rages on.